0: Sad episode of Setting the Tone in ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we're discussing season 8, episode 18, which is held Orion in the Sky. The episode aired on April 4th, 2002. Lauren, what was going on that week 21 years ago?
1: Uh, the Netherlands legalizes euthanasia, a topic explored several times on ER, becoming the first nation in the world to do so. Uh, Panic Room, the thriller starring J- Jodie Foster and baby Kristen Stewart, in only her second credited Hollywood appearance, debuts and takes the number one spot at the box office. And Ain't It Funny, Murder remixed by Jennifer Lopez, featuring Ja Rule, is still the number one song. Daniel, what else was on?
2: At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with Joey's Interview. At 8.30, Leap of Faith with the episode Karmic Behavior. At nine, Will and Grace with the episode Went to a Garden Potty. And at nine thirty, Just Shoot Me with the episode The Book of Jack. This week's episode had twenty-eight point five million viewers tuning in, directed by Jonathan Kaplan, doing his twenty-third out of forty. Previous ones of his from this season include I'll Be Home for Christmas, Supplies and Demands, and The Longer You Stay. And written by David Zabel doing his fourth out of 44 previous ones of his include a river in Egypt, four corners and quo vadis and no Romano this week.
1: He was probably resting from all the heavy lifting last
2: week. Right. Got to give the man a break.
0: All right. Uh, And as I previously said, very sad episode, uh, (laughs) but not the saddest, (laughs) but not the saddest. No, that comes in a couple weeks. Uh, Part was this part one of the Mark Death trilogy? Is that what yes. we're calling it? This
2: is this, this is the new hope of the uh, the Mark Green Death trilogy. <laughs> the Phantom Menace being the cancer
0: is that what's happening? No, here? no, the
2: Phantom Menace is next week's episode. It's the unfortunate huh? like interjection in the middle that breaks ah, up the.
0: Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha! All right, but our previous was brought to us by Susan, and uh, we're going to open with an audio clip here. Mark is outside playing basketball in slow motion. Let it be known that they finally fixed their slow mo tech. Because this actually looks very nice. So, and it's a gray cloudy day, and anyway, let's listen. Problem with the office supplies?
3: I just pronounced Bertha. Blue Bertha? I admitted her 10 times for COPD in the last six months. She must have liked you a lot if she kept coming back. Every time she swore to me she'd quit smoking, every time.
4: Behind the crack, no rim.
3: soon as she was discharged, though, boy, back to two packs a day. I even saw her light up under the arch once. Intubated her three times this year. i dose steroids, home nebulizer, dragging her O2 tank around with her. It's an for you. I mean, what's the point if you're not going to take a little responsibility for your health? I call this the spirit killer. It's a rain again. That's a no for you. I think it's going to rain again.
4: We offer them a service. Whether they take our advice or not is up to them.
3: She'd still be alive if she listened to our advice.
4: As hard as it was to deal with Blue Bertha, it's still harder to be Blue Bertha. Not
3: anymore. Dr. Carter, there's a rig rolling in with an MVA, and I got a researcher at the Art Institute, LOC at work. It's Greg Pratt. Yes. Mark Green. How you doing? what did do he do to deserve us? He just finished nine months at the VA. Ouch. Three months of internship? Yes, I'll be a resident in July. Here? Only if the match screws me. <laughs> nice. No, but I'm ready to jump in. Pretty much seen it all one way or another.
4: Is that right? Uh-huh.
3: You want us to grab that?
4: No, no, no. You've
3: got your museum, lady. You know what? I'll help you with that crossover later. I think I got it.
0: Uh-uh. You're palming it.
1: Ah. Uh... Hi Pratt.
0: I was hey, you stole my thunder. Sorry. <laughs> Rude. Anyway, but yeah. Hi Pratt. How you doing? I recognize that handsome man. <laughs> he's just that little ba- That he's just a baby in this, but Well he
2: really is. I was not prepared for that. Like I was, I was not prepared for how much of a baby he is in this.
0: Like the difference between this Pratt and season fourteen Pratt. Mm-hmm. Just night and day. Yeah. And you love You love to see it. But anyway, uh, anyway, who plays who plays Pratt here?
2: Wait, before I get to that, a couple of things oh. about this this clip here. Uh, number one, how dare you not get uh, the slow mo? With the score behind it, which I like composed myself before I started the episode to do the notes for this episode, and I was like, all right it's gonna be fine we're gonna get through this and then two seconds in Martin davich is like i'm gonna end this man's whole career like i'm gonna, See, i'm gonna have you sobbing I, within the first ten seconds
0: if i was if I was getting audio score if I was getting uh the score that I love of this episode, we would just be listening to the entire fucking episode Whew. so we haven't
2: had a good we haven't really been able to like. Gush over Martin in a while. I don't feel like, or or maybe we just have been you know slacking because it's not like he never deserves it, but like this episode in particular, I feel like is one of his like crowning achievements in terms of oh
0: absolutely.
2: I indulged on the last
0: clip. The last clip is like three three almost three minutes long. Just and like the last thirty seconds that is just the score. But the
2: the first like the first the the you know opening shot of this episode, the slow mo and the score and all of it, it. It's one of my favorite beginnings to an episode just kind of bar none like I just I just love everything about it and, and the way that it immediately gives way to you know just another day at the ER is, is is just really excellent
1: uh what I love about it is at first like it feels like Carter and Mark aren't actually talking to each other Like Mm. it takes them a while to both actually get into the same conversation because Mark's Mm -hmm. so in his own head about stuff and Carter's just so in the day-to-day. But other than that, I also want to say this is another episode that suffered... From my having to take notes, because I'm soulless, and I feel like if I had actually watched this and let the emotional beats sink in, instead of going, shit, what did they say? What was (laughs) happening here? Like, I I may have had a more emotional reaction to this episode. I
0: hate the fact that we're probably going to have to watch The Letter and On the Beach twice each. No, we... Because those are both you're going to want to watch.
1: But Lizzie, you could just watch the first time text me your time note your time stamps and you don't have to watch it with me again i have to watch twice just by the
0: nature of the beast yeah but it's easier because i can help you pause and i can make it
2: more consume digestible so, for but you. it's the it's, guys, it's the meme it's, though it's the it's the restarting the the song because the yeah. parts that hurt me don't hurt me hard enough that's yep. that's going to be yeah. you all doing the letter and on oh the beach. yeah
1: yep oh yeah so yeah just in in advance you guys this is a beautiful episode i it just didn't hit me in the nuts the way it could have because I was I was in notes land not in emotions land yeah so i,
2: I was very honestly very surprised going you know seeing just how I dealt with it you know on my yeah. watch for for notes just from I remembered this episode for spoilers you know and it's, it's not really spoilers because I've said this probably a dozen times I feel like this is one of those episodes too that we've been preparing to do since we started. Like, this is one of those episodes that's been circled on the calendar for literal years. And um, I went into this episode fully expecting to, like, just be overwhelmed immediately. And it really wasn't the case. It was much more analytical and much more, like, I was much more focused on, like, details and, like, looking for things in the background and stuff like that. But I was surprised at how emotionally um, intense and emotionally sort of, like, calculating this episode is that there were Mm -hmm. still moments especially towards the end that still managed to push me over the edge and still managed to to get hold of me even though i was coming at it from this very like analytical just look at it from a procedural kind of standpoint look at the formula look at what's happening all that stuff i still managed to kind of get hit with the you know the emotional hammer like i still managed to get like oh fuck they got me and yeah, so, and I love, I want to say too, I, I want to point out because like, like I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to the Mark retrospective, like one of the things that's probably, I know it's probably, probably been true for me. I don't know how true it's been for, I know it's probably been true for Lauren. I don't know how true it's been for Lizzie, but like the kind of a, the, the larger veneer of when you go episode by episode and analyze, micro analyze every small detail, the overall general veneer of St. Mark Green kind of slips a little bit. Yeah. On rewatch, uh, gonna something
0: I was going to be talking about that a lot on uh, the re- on our Yeah, podcast.
2: so like that that kind of slips a little bit on rewatch and it was nice to see here as we're starting this, you know, three-part slog into the Great Beyond here um that we get to recapture a little bit of that because mm-hmm. I love the way he talks to Carter here where Carter's coming yes. out and being his like petulant little, you know, shithead at ass coming out here going you know like oh uh, you know why didn't she listen to me and he go and that that lovely little line there is like no matter how difficult it was to deal with blue bertha it's way more difficult to be blue bertha and like just those little nuggets that you get throughout this episode both with pratt and carter uh i just it was nice to be able to have these parting shots for the road of just like getting to recapture a little bit of the mark green magic that right or wrong i feel like we may have lost a little bit of on this journey like where we've we've lost sight of a little bit of the overall aspects of the character because we're so engrossed in the week-to-week minutiae of it all it's easy to lose track of that and so it's nice to be able to like get a little bit of that back and feel those warm and fuzzy feelings for the character again
1: love me my warm and fuzzies
0: shall we but
2: anyway, who plays Pratt? Yes. Oh, yeah. All of that uh, to say that, yes, this is the very first appearance of one uh, Mackay Pfeiffer, Mackay Babyface Pfeiffer. Uh <laughs> Who, uh, at this point, is best known for stuff like Honey and 8 Mile, uh, Dawn of the Dead remake also to come a few years after this. Um, He is, of course, making his first of 135 appearances through 2008. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that this is... Maybe not the first. I'm trying to think, because cause Goran, I feel like, might have been the first. But I feel like Makai was a much more mainstream. He had much more mainstream attention behind him. And I know Aaron's going to correct me because of the whole Madonna video <laughs> thing. Um, but, like, I feel like this is a perfect example of the show seeing somebody and kind of, like, handpicking them and going, like, you would be good at this. Like, because, like, Makai Pfeiffer's star is, like, really shining at this point in time because of eight mile, like eight mile. He was like, other than of course people being like, Oh shit, Eminem can act and he'll never do it again. Um, <laughs> um other than that, like McKay Pfeiffer was kind of the big thing to come out of that movie. Like he was the big, like, Oh, there's a new person that we should pay attention to. And so I feel like this is the show kind of like handpicking that person out and going mm-hmm. like, mm, let's drop you into the middle of the ER here and see how you do. And well,
0: we have to introduce our new Mark analog, and he has to get a little time with Mark before Mark see, passes. And I don't,
2: yeah. I don't know if I think of him as the Mark analog. To be perfectly I, honest, I
0: absolutely think of he's Mark. Archie is Carter.
2: I okay. That's
1: mm, I can almost see it.
2: Yeah, and see, that's the thing is that there's elements of all the characters in everybody that comes after them. The only the only, and Carter, I feel like. Yeah, you could make some arguments for Archie. I also feel like you could make some arguments for Nila, um, but my my honest pick for uh for who is the new Mark Green after this, honestly, for me, it's Abby. Like Abby, mm. I feel like is the new Mark after this. I
0: just always see like Pratt like as even like once you get to like season like twelve or so, he's like the sort of like the stoic wise yeah. Pe- wise leader that people tend to go to yeah
2: and I, I, to me i see i see benton i mean uh, i see uh pratt as a as a perfect mixture of benton and ross like i mm-hmm. i see him i see him as like a per he, he because those two yeah. guys those two characters you know other than uh of course archie those two characters from the original group are the ones with the most complete growth arcs and mm-hmm. I feel like Pratt is the ultimate realization of those two growth arcs coming together and making you know a beautiful chocolate baby. Like they 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 come <laughs> together and like we get this amazing character who you know really in many ways is one of the big pillars that carries the second half of the show.
0: Oh, absolutely, and you know, arguably the biggest.
2: Right. So I, I just I, I couldn't have been more excited. This is one of those little like factoids that I always forget about but always love to remember is the the fact that Mark's last day in the ER is Pratt's first because they are so they're two characters that you think are completely diametrically opposed from a timeline standpoint you'd be like Pratt and Green there's no overlap there whatsoever but they do get to share this one very special episode and I, I love that so much
1: uh with that all being said guys should we actually get into the rest of the episode we're not even yeah I guess <laughs> <sighs> I know you all want to put it off, but we are in with bangs, and then we see a man complaining about getting hit in the head with a ball, potential eardrum rupture. This is only good because it sets up for a punchline in a little bit, but Daniel, who, who plays I this patient? so
2: yeah so uh this uh patient here who i think we later learn is uh named cahill mr cahill uh he is played by actor richie montgomery who appears in stuff like blaze ozark and baskets uh, and he has 175 credits to his name uh some somehow surprisingly not does not make him the high watermark guy though we do have somebody who beats him
1: but we learn apparently frank has been doing career aptitude quizzes on the computer Uh, just for uh, lols
0: of course of course
1: some random stuff there. Uh, Carter is giving Pratt the tour, and Frank meets him, and uh, he's like, oh, you have a first name? Uh, and Pratt goes, at the VA, they called me doctor, to which Frank responds, well, here, we'll call you junior, which sets up <laughs> which sets up their relationship which, so perfectly, too. Yeah,
2: which uh, I, uh, of course, one of those, it's one of those things that, like, with the benefit of hindsight, fucks you up way more, uh, but... In an episode where I was already prepared to cry a little bit, seeing seeing the two of them together for any uh, any length of time at all, I was immediately like, yep. nope, not today. Not today, nope. Satan. What? Nope. <laughs> not going to get me today.
1: And then we see uh, Carrie is clearly trying to keep Mark's workload clear of harder cases. She kind of, like, prods people throughout this episode to be like, hey, maybe, maybe take that. Um, and then we go over to Mark and Abby working on Mrs. Cruz, and Luca comes in to help. She was a loss of consciousness, or no, sorry, she um has had a, I'm trying to think of how to explain this, she has had a persistent illness and is towards death at this point, like essentially in palliative care, and she had begun passing at home and her son panicked and called her into the ER. So um, that's where Mark and Abby are working on Mrs. Cruz, Luca comes in to help, and Mark kind of shoves Luca out and is just like, it's okay for me to treat my own patient like he sees what's going on. And I'm going to prompt myself, "Uh, whose films are those? Feels weird, like just going into it on my own (laughs) section, but all right. Um, But it turns out Mrs. Cruz may have aspiration pneumonia and the son says his sister is a lawyer who drew up her her DNR and he seems very nervous about making any choices at all for his mom. And who plays the son, Daniel?
2: Yes, the son here is played by actor Wilson Cruz, who appeared in stuff like Star Trek Discovery, My So-Called Life, and 13 Reasons Why. He is excellent in season one of Star Trek Discovery.
1: That's where I recognized him from.
2: Yeah, Yeah, fair amount of, oh, hey, it's that people in this episode.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, there should be. It's a big episode. It's
2: true. It's a very special
0: episode. You stop that. Lots of drugs and after-school sex and stuff. Anyway. (laughs) Our next patient here is uh, Willa Goldman. She's an Egyptologist, which I didn't know that was a job title. Yeah. It makes sense, but.
2: Especially in a city like Chicago with a bunch of museums and. Yeah. It's Uh, a little
1: weird that she's at the Art Institute. I mean, Egyptian art. Yeah, but they talk about, like, Nefertiti's tomb and stuff.
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, mean, sculptures are Yeah, and it could be an exhibit. Like, it could be something yeah. that's, like, a traveling thing.
0: Yeah.
1: That's something I just more think of a field museum for. But anyway, but I digress. Anyway,
0: this woman fainted at work. Uh, Pratt's running the history and doing rounds for Carter. Um, gentleman insists that it's the curse of the mummy because he found her passed out in Nefertiti's tomb. Again, was she in Egypt? Was she at, a, at an installation at the art museum? Who the hell knows? Uh Carter passes Pratt over to help on a penile fracture, and this is the for me this is the only big blemish on an otherwise perfect episode uh the hazing Carter, no, I hate this uh Pratt goes into the wrong room and tries to treat the hard of hearing gentleman for a penile fracture. This sucks this absolutely sucks to me. Hmm. Am I outnumbered here?
1: Sh- show your work. I'm not saying yeah. it doesn't I, I, but I, I, I found I'm it sure an I angle,
2: found it innocuous. Yeah, I'm sure there's an angle it, I'm
0: not uh, considering. I find it wildly inappropriate, wildly unprofessional that they would let um, okay, like, yes, let pratt touch another man's genitals for laughs. Yeah. That's very that's, fair. That's I think, that's, I think fair. That's, incre- uh, that's incredibly... that Because viol- that doctor is not going to trust Pratt at all after that. Is not going to trust anyone there after that big of a fuck-up. Because, like, yeah, okay, I guess. Sure, we'll see what this has to do with... Okay. Yep. It's... I don't like it at all. No,
1: you're right, hundred percent. From a patient adv- advocacy standpoint, like to me at first, I was thinking like, oh, it's like when you know they put the cast on Carter or whatever. But then I'm like, no, you're right. When a patient becomes part of the joke, it's no longer acceptable. Yeah. So you raise a good point.
2: Yeah. Fair enough. Uh and the uh Egyptologist in question here, Willa, uh, she is played by actress Blair Barron, who appears in stuff like A League of Their Own, not our only League of Their Own uh alumnus in this uh, episode. Uh Seinfeld and Malcolm in the Middle. Uh and the guy who's with her is arguably the most notable of the the two here. Uh he is played by uh Maz Jobrani, who appears in stuff like Friday After Next, Dragonfly, and Thirteen Going on Thirty, and is a pretty successful stand-up comedian. Like has oh. a, a really successful stand up career. So that's that's where I knew him from. I don't really know him as an actor. I know him more as a comedian. So Um But anyway. Uh we go over to Mrs. Cruz's son on the phone with his sister, uh who I believe he mentions is a a lawyer. Lawyer, yeah. Yep. And does all the has done all the end of life care uh stuff for the mother. Uh, yep. His mother wanted to die at home in her bed, and he feels bad that it feels like he regrets calling the ambulance. And I did not see the cherry coke can. What's the cherry? Coke yeah, can? Like, it's
1: it's just the old style cherry coke can, like with the really crazy weird square font yeah. and stuff. So,
2: so you the need to bring it back. So the old. So because to me, there's two. When you say the old cherry coke can, I think of two different distinct cans. Are we talking about the like red? And black Red one, and
0: black, like the edgy one. Okay, the, the the
2: around this time, like turn of the millennium, kind of can. Because I also think of like the black and purple one from the nineties.
0: No, this one's this one's definitely a product of the it, early aughts. Yeah, the
2: very the, the very early aughts one. Yeah, okay. I must have missed that. So excellent catch, Lord.
1: I could like taste it when I saw the can. It was a very weird <laughs> core memory. I like even,
2: I can't even remember the last time I had cherry coke.
1: <gasps> I I wish if they made caffeine free cherry coke. Or Dr Pepper, I would be unstoppable. Like the sugar would still kill me, but that's what I miss the most about drinking pop. Is it's like I don't touch most of it now because of the caffeine. But like if I could get caffeine free Dr Pepper or Cherry Coke, mm. I would be in heaven. Those are my two vices.
0: Mm. Also, good, also fun to note here: strawberries and cream Dr Pepper, so good, delicious, absolutely Ta- delicious.
1: Tastes like a, a strawberry uh, cream saver.
2: Yeah,
0: I'll take you anyway.
1: For it. Sorry.
2: Uh in any event, Mrs. Cruz is crashing. Uh she may have reaspirated or collapsed a lung. Uh the son insists for them to save her, even though his sister said not to do anything. And uh they go to innovate her and we get a really just, you know, upsetting POV shot of Mark going to intubate, and his hands uh start to shake and he's clearly starting to have some motor function issues and there's an as a great uh you know, like kind of silent Acknowledgement from Carrie where she mm-hmm. she doesn't like call him out or doesn't try to like doesn't try to like put him on blast or anything like she's just like I'll do it and just jumps in and handles it for him um, more excellent work by Martin here which you could say in almost every scene mm-hmm. um, and ju- and a really good camera pan from Mark's POV of admit and just yeah
1: like he's just so distant from everybody already.
2: Mm-hmm. All right, and then we uh, see Carrie ask Carter to
0: go find Pratt, and then we're going to go to our next audio clip here where Carrie goes into the lounge to check on Mark.
3: You all right?
4: Early onset arthritis. Coffee?
3: Maybe you should ease up a little.
4: I'm fine, Carrie.
3: You do triage for a while if you want or take a half shift?
4: Working is good.
3: You need to make sure you're taking care of yourself. There's no need to overextend. We can handle the load.
4: I just want to keep doing what I've always done.
3: You couldn't hold that ET tube? Some
4: little spasms in my hand.
3: Is that from the Vin Christine?
4: A side effect of the treatment or a progression of the disease. You pick the poison.
3: Still, I'd, I'd like you to take over Pratt's orientation.
4: Whatever you want, Carrie
3: might be best if you left critical procedures to the rest of us
4: you pulling me out of the trauma room
3: anybody else i'd send home i trust you to recognize your own limitations
1: i i have to first off applaud carrie that she's like you know acknowledging that this is shitty for mark anyway and just like hey from like any perspective if it was anybody other than mark like hey do you want to take some time doing triage? Do you want to find these other ways for us to accommodate you still mm-hmm. being here and working? Like, that's fucking awesome. I applaud Carrie for that. To have bosses that still obviously want you involved in work, even when you're going through something medically challenging, mm-hmm. it's so validating. Here, obviously, it's crushing because we know Mark loves his job and wants to be as hands-on as possible. But I just, my heart warmed a little bit when Carrie had his back like that.
2: Yeah. And it's it's such an, a great, like continuation of and, and and evolution of their professional relationship mm-hmm. you know like the last time we really dug into this between the two of them it was very combative and very negative and like you know she's sending him for competency testing and stuff which he reacts badly to but you can see there's both there's an evolution on her part here of like she's much more conciliatory and much more like i know i, I want to keep you involved but like i also want to protect the patients And he is much more conciliatory and much more frankly mature about the whole thing. And is like, no, I totally get where you're coming from and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Like he, he doesn't immediately lash out at her and be like, fuck you. Like I can do anything. Like I'm Mark green, you know, like Mm -hmm. whatever. He's just like, no, you know, Uh, at first he's a little like, are you like, really? Are you going to take me out of the trauma room? And then when she explains, when she shows her work and is like, yeah, dude, like you're going to fucking hurt somebody. Then he's like, Okay, I'll do whatever you tell me to do.
1: Yep, 100%. I just, mm, I I love how much their relationship grows over these seasons, and mm-hmm. I think it leads to Carrie growing a lot once he's gone, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. But um, are we good on that? Lizzie, do you have anything for them? Okay. Uh, then we go over to Mark working with Pratt on a gentleman who has been having trouble peeing, and it sounds like his physician isn't very attentive. He's like, yeah, you know, I see him and he doesn't really ask a lot of questions and blah, blah, blah. So he's, this has been an ongoing problem for him. And he's in the ER because his physician is out on vacation skiing, I believe.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, Does anybody remember Mr. Seidel? No. Because we have seen him before. Uh, not no. as Mr. Seidel, though. He had a different name the last time we saw him. Uh, so he is played by actor Ken Lerner, who appeared in stuff like The Goldbergs, The Running Man, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He has 155 credits to his name. And as I mentioned, we have seen him before. And I suspect that in maybe the early drafts oh! of this episode, he was. I know. Yep. Lizzie, I you know. just
1: scared the hell out of me.
2: <laughs> no, it's okay. He was the cell phone guy. He was the cell phone guy season. in season nice one, job. episode
0: four. Who sells copiers
2: or yes. whatever or something. Who like I that. think has a similar like story track like they have to tell him that he has cancer by the end of that episode i think too um but uh or, may- or maybe it's just hinted at like they make it seem like it's gonna be i don't know but so i suspect that like probably this is a very intentional choice because he was also treated by green in that episode so i feel like this is a very intentional choice to bring this actor back for this episode and i suspect that they may be in an early draft might have named him the same thing as the character from season one and maybe decided to change it because the the character itself is named after a television writer uh, named Stan Seidel who passed away two years prior to this episode uh, from, I don't think it was cancer. I think it was complications of Crohn's disease, I think. Um, but... Um, So I suspect that there was some – there's definitely some reference to that character from season one, and I'm not sure exactly what it is. I'm not sure exactly what to make of it, but, like, it seems too coincidental to not be intentional in an episode full of these kind of moments of, like, little closing of the loop type things. Um, So I just thought that was interesting.
1: Good catch.
0: Let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Sadness? Anyone? (laughs) anyone anyone wants some sadness? sadness uh
2: that i'm glad they went to the trouble to provide us with like i i feel like a lesser show would have just let sleeping dogs lie and never followed up on this plot thread so i'm glad they did nope
0: gotta bring jen out for one last uh heartfelt conversation with with her ex-husband so yeah mark and jen are meeting at Docs for lunch
5: milkshake huh
4: Decided to let myself go
5: I can't stay long. I just wanted to stop by and say hi.
4: Did you see Rachel? We had breakfast,
5: her favorite.
4: Waffle House? That'll score you some points. Mm-hmm.
5: She couldn't stop crying Mark.
4: It's a lot for a teenager to take
5: in. It's a lot for anyone. It's really that bad. But there are always breakthroughs, right? I mean, look what happened last time.
4: Kind of beyond that.
5: Well, we agreed Rachel would be with me for July and August, but if you want to change that.
4: No, that sounds like a good plan.
5: She could stay with you longer. I and mean, she's going to want to spend time with you. As much time as possible. Thanks. I'm sorry, Mark. I'm sorry we had such a rough go. Maybe if I hadn't switched jobs or been more patient.
4: We made choices, Jen, both of us.
5: We weren't so bad together, were we?
4: I, w- I wouldn't change a thing. None of it.
5: Okay. So I, I gotta get to Midway.
4: Wait, uh, I updated my will. Last year, but... Look at it
5: out there. It's gonna take me hours.
4: I want to start a college fund.
5: Well, you'll drop Rachel off in St. Louis in July, and we can talk then.
4: I, I don't know if I'll be able to make that. Yes, you will. I, I want set something aside for her wedding, too.
5: July, okay? Let's not do this. Not today.
4: I don't know if there'll be another time. She's my daughter. I want to make sure that she's taken care of. She will be. Jen.
5: I'll
1: see you in St. Louis. The thunder rumbling in the background right as Martin's music cues up. Mm -hmm. Mm.
2: Yeah, we Mm. we didn't mention that in the the opening scene uh, that we get several mentions of the weather, which... Yep. come up several times throughout the episode and i don't think that's a... the weather's a character yeah. in this one for sure I, I, as always i don't think that's a coincidence and martin fucking dovich goddamn like
0: i have a petty thing to point out
1: oh i have several go ahead
2: there's no waffle house in
0: this in this age okay
1: go. i'm not the only one who had that thought <laughs> no. during this scene thank no. god
0: uh... Yeah. Thank you, Lizzie. I'm not actually going to look up where the closest one is. I was going to say, I've is. done that
2: several times from uh, Minneapolis, uh, uh, trying to look and see where the closest one is. And I think it's somewhere in Colorado is the closest one. Like, yeah, it's
0: it's either
2: Colorado or like Mississippi or something. Like, it's like in two different directions. Like, it's nowhere close to where we currently are. Which sucks because when uh, Jen and I were first married and when we lived in Virginia, we were uh, eating at Waffle House like at least once a week. Like that was a that was an early, early days of marriage uh, struggle meal spot. Like that was a love it. Loved me some Waffle (laughs) House don't hate on it uh this is also the last time we will ever see well no that's not true that's not true because she isn't on the beach i forgot about that she she does show up in on the beach uh for a very brief appearance but this is the last like meaningful appearance of jennifer green which is pretty wild to think about for a character that was so kind of like omnipresent in the early days that and then Mm. disappears off the face of the earth essentially for a few years and then you know they kind of trickle her in a couple times this season and then you know, it's just, again, I'm glad they went to the trouble. I'm glad they went to the I, trouble to close this loop.
1: I love when he's like, no, we both made choices. Yeah, it's, like, it, we're, it's we're,
2: arguably, like, the most we, self-reflective he's ever been in terms like, of that.
1: nope. He's acknowledging full character growth from both of them. They're done playing the blame game. Like, they're both just like, nope. Yeah. We we made choices. This, this was not either of a, well, it's like fault is the wrong word, but like, This isn't a fault of either of us. This is just where we ended up as consequences of our actions, like, which I really appreciate.
0: For reference, the closest Waffle House that Google Maps has given me is 170 miles away. Let's go. Damn, she
1: went for a drive just to go take her for some waffles.
0: All the way down to Indianapolis and back. Worth. I'm sure there's one closer, but, like, that's the first one that Google spits out at me. Let's go. Can't
2: wait. Those waffles are unstoppable. I know
0: my dad calls it awful house, but he's yeah, wrong. Yeah, he's wrong. It's one of the very few things he's wrong about in this world. I think
1: I've had it maybe once in my life. I I I can't vote on this. I love awful house.
0: But yes, uh, tier count uh, for the record is Lizzie one, Lauren zero. Yeah. Yes, as of as of the time of taking these notes, I broke. It, uh, it's, it's it's so <laughs> uh, it's so
2: beautiful and it's so touching and just I broke. It's pretty amazing how uh, the character who like who's best known for being like ice cold and like emotionless frigid frigid is the one that can pull an emotion like that out of you just the and and i think somebody mentions it in the listener responses talking about how this episode is a is sort of a case study in how different people handle death and dying Mm. and how she's in complete denial about the whole thing and is just like you know i'll see you in st louis like don't you know it's um she did not listen to our grief lounge episode. Not at all. She Jen Jen Green, not a patron confirmed. Um, yeah, I just I, again, I I can't give enough flowers to the showrunners for even bothering to mm. because this is a character that I'm sure. And again, we're still in the early days of the internet. Like, there's message boards and stuff, but there's no Twitter, there's no social media. Like, but I can still guarantee that there was some amount. They know that this character is not popular. Like, they know that this is a character that people don't like seeing. And so they could have very easily just been like a phone call, a quick word, a mention that Jen's going to come pick up Rachel or something. And like, we don't have to do this on screen. And the fact that they not only do it, but they do it in such a way that makes it not all about him and make it so that we're going to both close the loop on this couple and this this relationship. But we're going to do it in such a way that doesn't make it look like either one of them was at fault. Yeah. it's such a mature way to handle it and i just i really really appreciate that about this scene
1: also i'm cranky i'm cranky over the fact that she's a lawyer and isn't appreciating the fact that he's trying to talk about an updated will <laughs> like
2: <laughs> this is important stuff you should know this
1: yeah and um when when he mentioned the college fund i'm like isn't it a little late like yeah she's still got time right shouldn't like, y'all you all have been doing that
2: you, like she, yeah, rachel's that like 14 already. my dude so yeah, that maybe was, he that was maybe b- he meant from like his life insurance or something like yeah. s- a certain percentage. I'm
1: just those were my heartless I'm um, actually moments during that scene. But yes, it is beautiful, and I'm glad they took the time to do it. Yes, Lizzie.
0: I looked on the Waffle House <laughs> <by> the
1: <side. laughs>
2: Anything to not talk about the sad. It, it's the tiny little raised
1: hand on the camera,
0: and there are Waffle Houses in St. Louis, so you could argue that uh, that. Uh, you can make the you can make the argument that Rachel was down in St. Louis <laughs> with Jen. They had breakfast at Waffle House
2: and they flew up sure. back to Chicago. Sure. You could make that argument. It's a
0: very short flight,
2: so. You could make that argument. Anything did not talk about the Sads. Exactly. I don't, have, I don't have feelings. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: I'm just gonna sit over here and fuck with the reactions button on Zoom. Anything to not talk about the rest of this episode. Uh but then we have the new orderly Enrique barreling through the hall and um I can't remember, I think it's Luca that says, Well, he moves people, he's great. Like people keep like transit's great. Um but Chekhov's,
0: we lo- uh, watch McCall Yes. Orderly, uh, orderly.
1: But we learn that Brian has left to Idaho, so Abby will be moving back into her old place. They're both kind of, like, cute and awkward about it. And she thanks Luca for the hospitality.
2: And Enrique, the orderly, the uh, the out of con- Speed demon. Speed demon uh, orderly. He is played by actor Thomas Rosales Jr., who appears in stuff like Speed, Commando, and uh, the... Jurassic Park Two: Lost World, uh, and he is our high watermark actor for the episode. One hundred and ninety-four credits to his name, the fuck, uh, making his first of two appearances as Enrique. So we will see uh, Enrique at least one more time um, in Lost. Lizzie, were you a big Lost World person?
1: We both are. We both are. Yeah. All
2: right. I'm, so I
0: am one of the very few people who appreciate the when, Lost
2: World. Uh, when what's his face Stormare Peter Stormare when he gets eaten up by the packies, the the little dinosaurs. Yes. Uh, oh, is it the A Z? He the guy—he's guy? the guy with the headphones who can't hear him yeah, yelling. They, That's yeah. Enrique. Gotcha. So
0: I'm trying to think of, in speed if he's one of the people like who he might be if he's on the yeah, bus. Yeah,
2: I not. don't think so. I think he might be. Um, yeah, I don't think he's one of the people on the bus. We have had people from the bus uh, on the show before, but he's yes. not. I don't think he's one of them. Um, but in any event, another ten out of ten. Perfect perfection movie and Lauren do not shrug at me for the love of god i cannot handle it emotionally tonight don't speed? do it don't do speed? it don't do it
1: are we talking about yes. speed
2: yes yes don't do it it's, don't shrug don't you good. do it It's good. Don't you do it it's good don't you sh- I'm not, don't it's you good. shrug at me woman not today not today it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, from, it's good from there uh mr Irvin comes in (laughs) and gets excited to greet mark um he doesn't want to take his shoes off in front of chen and he's talking about there's ghouls that put spikes in his shoes so clearly clearly he's dealing with some stuff uh pratt asks not very uh inconspicuously if they should get a psych consult like he's kind of just does it right in front of his face and this is an opportunity for Mark to kind of school the young young doctor here, and is like, it's not a good idea to show open disdain for our frequent flyers. And for the second time this episode, does anybody remember Mr. Irvin? Vaguely. Vaguely. Mr. Irvin uh, first appeared way back in the pilot episode. Uh, he yes. he was the older black gentleman who accused Mark of being racist uh and uh providing slower than normal care because he was black and uninsured and uh so they this is this is one of those things that the show does sometimes that I just fucking love like it's this is those like from the why did they bother department like why did they bother to bring back this very cuz it's not like that patient really goes anywhere in the pilot he's a very like one and done patient from the pilot but they bring him back here um he is I, and It's been so long since we did the pilot, and we did things format-wise so differently back then. I don't even know if I covered this in the pilot episode, so I'm going to burn it off here. Um, Mr. Irvin is played by actor Paul Benjamin, who appears in stuff like The Station Agent, Escape from Alcatraz, and Do the Right Thing. This is, of course, his second of three appearances, so he actually will be making one more appearance. Um, And he did, unfortunately, pass away in 2019. Um, But I just thought that was so cool that they brought this character back that you have no business remembering and it manages to and they do and they do it without like pointing at it like they do it without being like oh man i haven't seen you since 1994 mm-hmm. like they don't they don't insult your intelligence they just sort of go like yeah here's this guy and you've seen him before yeah. and i don't care if you remember or not it's important fuck you
0: and they and they establish that oh yeah he sees mark all the time like he's obviously right. comes in a lot. I, I do love that he just turns around to Pratt and says, "Screw you, too." <laughs> yeah,
2: I think he calls him Junior too, and and Pratt immediately yeah. gets offended.
0: Because I would, because if someone just openly it was like, "You need to get get her a psych consult," I'd be like, "Fuck you, too, man." Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on to our next patient here, Freddie Harrison. He's twenty eight. was brought in by the paramedics, and oh hi, and oh hi, Lolly from Orange Is the New Black.
2: Dun dun dun. Our second League of Their Own alumnus from this episode, Lori Petty, who is a phenomenal actress and should be so a good. bigger deal. She's always like the best part of everything she's in. She is wonderful. Uh, she, and I think, is also good friends with uh, fellow ER alumnus, uh, Christine Elise. Uh, Harper from season two, I think I see them like in pictures and stuff together on Instagram a lot, so I think they're friends. Um, but in any event, she appears in stuff like A League of Their Own, Point Break, and as Lizzie mentioned, Orange is the New Black.
0: Uh, but Freddie here is has pinpoint pupils, agonal respirations. Uh, the theoretically, he and his girlfriend are clean; are, they're in rehab. Uh, Mark tells Carter that he has this because Carter's like, "Oh yeah, no, no, I'll I'll take this. Don't worry about it." And it's like, Mark's like, fuck you. Mark basically tells him to shove off. <laughs> uh, Freddy wakes up. Uh, Freddy wakes up and... Oh, boy, does he wake up. Because they have to pull... The, he. They have to pull out the tube and... Because, like, he's like... Otherwise, he's just going to fucking do it himself and he might hurt his throat. And uh, he starts wandering around wanting his wallet. And... Uh, Chekhov's orderly. And <laughs> just enters the picture... And runs into runs into Lolly, uh, and she's yelling that her, her baby is coming now. Gives a... her
1: character's name is Shane, by the way, but yeah. they n- they never oh, no, really I'm make call...
0: a big
2: deal out of that. But
0: yeah, I'm just gonna call her Lolly because That's I like fine. that char- I like her character a lot. Gives a
2: whole new meaning uh, to the term crash cart, huh? Because he <laughs> crashed into him with the fuck oh, right.
0: off. <laughs> anyway, uh, but Freddie passed. Freddie has now passed back out and is back in a gurney.
1: And we go back to the trauma with Shane, a.k.a. Lolly, a.k.a. the girlfriend. I'm a pedantic asshole. And she doesn't know how far along she is, but she's having contractions. Uh, They estimate about 28 weeks along based on the ultrasound that Luca does. And this is kind of one of those back-and-forth traumas where we're popping between the two rooms a lot. Mm. So bear with us on this. Uh, Mark goes back in to work with Carter on Freddy and... Shane is going into labor. Mark then pops back over to help Luca with it. Uh, baby is out, and Mark works with Halle and Abby to stabilize him. Shane is insisting she hasn't been doing any drugs while pregnant. Mark pops back into the other room where Freddy is and slips on the floor, slamming his head, in which we all cry a little inside because it's such an absolutely just visceral, well-done shot that you just feel it in your soul. Um, but he gets back up, Mark helps Carter intubate to avoid criking Freddie, and he can't quite get a good view on it. He's trying to let Carter do it because he can't doesn't have the motor function. Pops back over to Shane's trauma room. Her talk screen has come back. boy, that was fast, and he uh he yells at her for shooting up and taking opiates and cocaine while pregnant, and he Shane he just goes off on her about this baby's health. And just like, yeah, it's gonna be on. It's gonna be on fucking heroin withdrawal and going through uh, fetal alcohol syndrome and just all it's this other shit. Damage. Yeah, like even if it lives, it might not have a quality of life because you fucked up. He just goes off, and Carter and Luca watch on in shock as he does this. And then um, Mark just kind of ends his tirade and goes, "Congratulations, you're a- congratulations, you're a mother." Tosses the talk screen and walks out of the room.
2: Is, is this a dir- – I mean, maybe I'm just stupid and can't pick up on subtext, but, like, is this a direct result of him just hitting his head? Like, because because no. at the beginning of the episode, he's so, like, philosophical and so, like, you know, uh, oh, I it's not – he's just in a bad mood now after hitting his yeah, head. Yeah, like, I, and I feel like – because I feel like they were driving that home a lot more early on in the season of, like, oh, he's, you know – a lot quicker to anger and he's a lot more reactive because of the brain tumor. And like, Mm -hmm. so I feel like there's this exacerbating event of like, he hits his head and maybe that has like something to do with, I don't know. Like maybe I'm reaching with that, but like, it just feels like it's out of nowhere that he all of a sudden is like, fuck you. Like you, you know, like not that, not that there's not a kernel of truth. It's just maybe not right at this moment. You want to do this. Like maybe you don't want to do this right now.
1: I think it might be the heightened stress of bouncing back and forth between the two traumas. He's already having a shitty day after the conversation with Jen, um, the issue with the intubation and realizing he can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you're right, slamming his head may have just been, you know, the icing on the cake for an already hypersensitive day, especially if he's quicker to anger and has a lower threshold for, you know, emotional sensitivity due to the uh, tumor. So I, I think that could have just been the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm-hmm if not necessarily the direct correlation right
0: and then after that uh we see mark in a very different scenario he's up uh, getting some chemotherapy administered uh nurse just making small talk asks if he's a basketball fan because she saw him playing in the parking lot uh she's a doctor makes doctors make the worst patients which i believe is just a universal
2: truth medical people in general much. Like I, yeah, is Jen is a, not a great patient. Like, okay, I was, I was about to ask: is Jen is Jen a no, decent patient or she not? She is. Yeah. She is absolutely the meme of the whiny husband. Like when she's when she, you know, like how they like the the favorite of like married people uh memes oh, is yeah, that yeah. like men are big babies when they're sick, and that that women just keep mm. you know soldiering on and do and and in our household. As is with many things with generals, it's completely flipped. Like when I'm when I'm sick, I want to be left alone. I just want to like do my thing and like just I'll I'll figure me out. You don't need to nurse me. When Jen is sick, it is the complete opposite. Like when when Jen is sick, like she had like a mild sniffle this past week, and you would have thought she was dying just because of that's like,
1: hysterical. She, she's that's still
2: key. getting up and doing things but she will make it everyone's problem. Like she will make it like God has allowed her to live another day and it is going to be everyone's problem. So yeah. And, and, but, and it's also true with the whole, like I have all these symptoms and I do all this stuff. And like me, the non-medical person, I'm like, go get checked out. Like stop diagnosing yourself. Like she does it to our pets too. Like she's always like, she's always oh. like digging in, in the cat's ears and is like, mm, I think this is that, 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 that. And I'm like, you're not a vet. You're a nurse. You're which a people is, nurse, which is yeah. so
1: funny because we ask you to like ask Jen if we think we're being crazy, and you're like, "Can you just quick ask Jen if we're being yeah. nuts?" Or and she's if this great is fine. when it comes
2: to other people, but when it comes to themselves, they're horrible yeah. about it. Like the number of times that like she has convinced herself that there is a like like immediate problem with one of our animals that like this is this we have to go now, and then we go, and the vet is like, "Yeah, they're fine." Like the, the vet is just always is like, yeah, it's fine. It's no big deal. Like, and, and she should be like, well, what about this thing? And they'll be like, that's not really how that works. And so like, we had, like, I just always have to remind her. I'm like, you are a people medical provider, not an animal medical provider. Like you d- d- just d- d- never the twain shall meet.
0: But Daniel <laughs> Bimmy has a tiny bit of earwax, not in her ear. Oh my God. Sound the alarm. Anyway, uh, uh, but yeah, they, they mentioned about how bad the bulls are again.
2: Uh, I just love that this is where we're at in the era of, of ER, that the Chicago Bulls are just fucking catching strays like every episode.
0: Yeah, they deserve them at that at that time. Uh, he lo- he looks at other the other two patients that are in the room with him and then at the paintings and Martin. Martin. Martin just killing me, murdering me murdering me to death
1: killing me softly with his song anyway she's stuck in my head sorry
0: uh pratt uh called up for mark though and he leaves wheeling his ivy with him and asks marnie the nurse to bring the rest of the meds down and she's she protests quite a bit so she's like we
1: don't make house calls <laughs> but
0: okay yeah
2: uh, then we go from there. Uh, we find out that, uh, Mr. Irvin has started panicking and Pratt needed Mark to come down to help. Uh, he had not taken his insulin and he gets, you know, this is very like melancholy. Like there's so much to remember. And like, he's just clearly frustrated. Uh, Al starts crashing. Mark shows Pratt how to help stabilize him. And, um, he's like well you would have known that he was diabetic if you'd have pulled his old chart and got a history like i told you to and he's like what was that a test like there's just this very like adversarial thing going on between pratt and green here and uh mark pulls pratt aside says i'm sure that you think you're ready for everything uh or ready for anything i should say um and then Carter and Pratt are talking about Mark. They get up to admit and uh, Susan clues Pratt into what the fuck is going on here because Pratt's being very like braggadocious young doctor here and is like, "What's that guy's problem?" And guys, old as right, dirt. And and Susan very matter-of-factly, it's just, he has a brain tumor. Like I'm dickwad. Right I, again. I like I didn't think I was going to appreciate this particular little carve out of Susan 2.0. Most of Susan 2.0, like is pretty forgettable, but like this, this little carve out here, late season eight, I'm really enjoying. Um, the, uh, Mr. Seidel, the man who can't pee, his test came back. There's something very abnormal on the test that his doctor should have caught. uh, Pratt apologizes, uh, when they're out in the hall, as Mark is, uh, calling his doctor and, uh, Mark Mark with the deadpan delivery of the episode is like someone told you I'm dying. Like <laughs> that was a that was an aspect of this episode that I had really forgotten about. Like when I think of Orion in the Sky as an episode in mm-hmm. ab- in the abstract, I really just think of like the beginning of the episode and the end of the episode. I forgot how the middle of this episode is Mark Green Gallows Humor Tour where he's just yep, yep. like he's, <laughs> he's just he is run out like, of Fox. He's just like oh someone told you I'm dying? <laughs> It's so good. Uh, He calls Mr. Seidel's doctor, yells at him, uh, asking how he never caught this, and gets hung up on, and turns out Mr. Seidel has prostate cancer. Uh,
0: Poor guy. Uh, Jeffrey, Mrs. Cruz's son, uh, is apologizing to his sister, and they want to extubate her. The sister has the power of attorney in the DNR documentation. Uh, Marnie comes down with the rest of Mark's meds, and he tells the trauma team to pull the animation and unplug her. Oof. So. Rough day. Oh, and then I
1: put, of course, first name instead of last name. So. Yeah, of course, I have Al. Mr. Irvin. Here. I'm going to say Al. Mr. Irvin. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Irvin is yelling for his cart. They threw it outside. um And Mark is getting his secondary course of chemotherapy put in down in curtains and he is absolutely dissociating here with al screaming in the background and he just kind of goes nope i'm done i'm done with chemo this is this is bullshit i'm over it um the audio would have been great to capture here but we have al screaming in the background mr urban the whole time and so like once mark gets up he goes al let me find your cart Mm. and just they they get up together go deal with that um we learn that the Egyptologist has Aspergilloma. I can't remember. That's how it's said. But um, says her colleagues will never let her hear the end of it because this is what illness used to call what was caused the curse of the mummy. And Mark stammers as he's instructing on what drugs to give. And Chuni gives him the most heartbreaking stare when this happens.
2: It's yet another one of those Just, little, uh... like, closing of the loop moments that I'm. It's like this is another one that feels like an intentional choice. Like it feels like an intentional choice to have Chuni be the one in the room. And like, cause there is history there between those two and brief and regrettable as it was, like there was history mm-hmm. between those two characters. And so it feels like it should be, you know, her to be one of the ones to realize that like, Oh shit, man, this dude's like out of time.
0: All right. More tears time. Uh, let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Lizzie is approaching Mark about uh, his a decision about his uh, chemotherapy.
5: I spoke with Oncology. I told them you'd be up soon for
4: your injection. You shouldn't have.
5: They're holding a room for you.
4: I'm finished. I've had enough.
5: You can go up now and I'll drive you home. Elizabeth. Look, this isn't something you decide by yourself on the spur of the moment.
4: This might be the last important decision I get to make.
5: You haven't given it time to work, Mark. Please.
4: I dropped an ET tube today. I couldn't wrap my thumb around it. That doesn't mean the chemo's not working. It's a game, Elizabeth. I don't want to play.
5: Look, it's only the second cycle. This treatment could prolong your life.
4: Maybe. For a couple of months.
5: Well, then give yourself the time. Give it to me and Ella. Give it to Rachel. Look, who knows what might happen. We see patients here every day who are told that, that they should have been dead long ago.
4: I need to be realistic.
5: You mean give up?
4: No, it's not giving up. It's making a choice. I'd rather have two good months than twice that, chained to meds and, and needles and IV stands, stuck in a bed, sitting next to the other clock watchers, being prodded and small-talked to by doctors and nurses. All of them with that look in their eye like you're already gone I don't want to end it
5: like that look we can we can look into some some new measurements we can we can find some alternative therapies that we haven't heard about
3: uh mrs Sidell is awake
4: be right there please There's no alternative just dying the way I've lived.
0: I'll see you at home. I love you.
2: I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm still not crying. Say, I, this is two for this, O. I mean, it's a good moment, but it, it didn't like. I don't. I don't even know that this got me on I the think first go round.
0: I think it's just be. It's because I'm so much in the Mark camp of like were I diagnosed with a potentially sure. fatal illness and treatment wasn't going well and there was a very there was like a less than 25% chance that I'll live beyond the next couple of months I would just I would totally just be the kind of person who would be like say fuck it and be like no I want to live the next couple of months and not be chained to me- not be chained to a bed cuz I, I want to go live my life for the next while I have it, while I still have it, so that's Which, very fair. I mean, it's totally admirable to people who are in on the Lizzie side of this equation who are like, no, you, know, you got to fight to the bitter end. You got to absolutely do everything you can. The time, the 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 quantity of time is more important than the quality of time. I am very much the quality mm. of the time is much more important than the quantity yep that's why they hit that's that's why this hits me so hard because it, it makes me think of, of like what i would
2: do if i were in that mm-hmm. position 100 percent makes me sad yeah no that's very valid and it it, it is like a it, it is sort of a like weirdly almost triumphant moment in a way mm-hmm. like where it's mm-hmm. it is sort of him taking control of his life and just being like you know fuck yeah. this i don't want to you know
0: that, it's his last act of defiance
2: yeah. self-determination Yeah. And Mark, we go from there. Mark asks Pratt if he's ready to give the news to Mr. Seidel about his cancer. And he watches him from the hall as he starts to break the news. And Pratt predictably kind of freezes up as the man panics and asks him a bunch of questions about the condition. So Mark has to step in to help. And Pratt's reaction as Mark takes over uh, kind of shows how great of a doctor he will be. He can become like it's it is sort of in many ways. I can see where you might take the moment from this of like a little bit of a passing of the torch kind of thing. Uh, And there are some Carter parallels in this too. Like I can definitely think of um, a moment with Carter early in season one, I think where Benton sends him to deliver bad news. And he kind of has a similar moment to Pratt here where he's just stammering over his words and like making false promises and like, Mm -hmm.
1: but I will say the heart that Pratt shows here though is more Kind of what I was alluding to is just like you can see that compassion yeah. in there. Right. And it's just he's so overwhelmed by it here. He doesn't quite know how to point it. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I like I know that P- and, and, you know, it remains to be seen how the rest of this season and the early part of season nine kind of sits with us. But like I was sort of struck in this episode by how much of his later stuff Yes, he's yes he's a much different character here. He's much more braggadocious, much more arrogant, you know, whatever. But like, there is definitely, I think, glimpses of the character to come, and like, mm-hmm. and it, it was interesting to be able to pick up on some of that stuff from the very first episode, like from his very first appearance. It, it's really it, you can see why he stuck around for as long as he did because like, it's rare that a character. I mean, other th- the only other one I can think of in recent memory was Luca that like walked in the door and you immediately felt like he'd been there for years. Like there was no sort of like Mm -hmm. awkward initiation period where you're like, Oh, let's figure this character out. Like this feels like this guy has already been here for years and we're just, this is just the the natural progression of things. So, um, and Mark, uh, as, as Mark, after Mark leaves the room, Pratt's kind of sitting outside, still kind of shell shocked from the whole thing. And he just tells him to, go back in and sit with him like you don't get to run away from this like just go in sit with him yeah. deal with it
1: yep
0: <sighs> all right let's go to our next audio clip here chen and Haley are working on al when mark steps in to help no 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 we need to keep that in okay i want to go it's wet out there it's raining it stopped i
4: don't want to be here me either when can you get him upstairs
1: oh um i'll call the telemetry unit
4: last serum ketones
1: still positive you're in 200 cc's in the last hour. I'll take it out. You know I know how.
4: Uh, Al, Al, It's going to become harder for you to be able to take care of yourself. Do you have any family you can go to?
5: No, there's nobody.
4: Then let me admit you. You know I don't like this place. I don't belong here. Whatever's going to happen, I want it to happen outside. Please. Okay.
5: It'll be over soon. Right?
4: Yeah. It will.
5: How much longer do I have to sit here?
4: Miss Raskin, it's been a long time.
5: Well, the service isn't what it used to be.
4: What's the trouble?
5: I have this hangnail, and it is very painful.
4: I have a brain tumor, and it's inoperable.
5: What?
1: I win. Excuse
0: me. (laughs) We I made Lizzie rewind that to listen to it like three times. It's perfect. It's oh. top five line deliveries from Mark for me.
2: Oh, old, old, good old thirsty Miss Raskin, who's decided yeah. decidedly very, less thirsty this time very, around.
0: Yeah, but very sweet, very sweet moment with Al. That's why I got got that in there. And then yeah. the but one of the one of the funniest parts of this entire yeah. episode. Yeah, I, I,
2: it's you know. I, uh, Al is such a, like, you don't really appreciate it, you know, like, you appreciate it from the, the standpoint of what we're doing, of, like, pointing out all these little, like, you know, minuscule detail things, but, like, so you appreciate it from that standpoint, but, like, Al is really, like, a, a kind of an important emotional undercurrent to this whole episode. Like, he mm-hmm. really is, mm-hmm. like, kind of an emotional through line that really anchors this episode and, and makes it a lot better. Like... I just wanted to get a little bit of yeah a no bit I am I'm 100 yeah. there because like between him and Halay like they're the things that like break me at the end of this episode like mm-hmm. the, those are the things that like it's not so much him and Lizzie having like one last little go around like it's not you know it's it's not him shooting hoops it's, it's
1: Halay gets me.
2: Halle and and Irvin H- Halay and Al are the they're the ones that really like push it over the edge for me so if.
1: If we had had Lydia in here, I would have died.
2: Yeah, and I'm a little surprised. She does feel like an omission because of the whole, you know, like she was the one to, you know, wait, woke, woke, woke him, him, up him up in, the, in pilot. the pilot. And I know yeah. that they're going to close that loop, you know, at the end of the show. They're gonna they're gonna yeah. let her be the one to to do that in the series finale. But I would have liked to have seen her in this episode in some capacity, mm-hmm. and it, it does feel yeah. like a little bit of an omission that she's not here. Um, but yeah, and of course, like I said, Thirsty Miss Raskin making her return all the way back from the pilot. Um, decidedly less thirsty this time around. But they do get the same actress, uh, who again I don't even remember if we were pointing out. Oh hey, it's that people way back in the pilot? So I'll do it here. Uh, Juliana Juliana McCarthy. It was really hard not to say Juliana Margulies there. <laughs> Juliana McCarthy, who appeared in stuff like Starship Troopers, L.A. Story, and Striking Distance. Uh. Starship Troopers as a political talking yeah, head, Which I'm a little annoyed, too, that they, they tack on this last patient here because, uh, as I think I incorrectly stated back in the pilot, uh, that Mrs. Raskin is the first patient that we see Mark treat in the series, and it would have been nice for her mm-hmm. to be the last one that he treats. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have – just my perfectionist tendency, like, I would have preferred if he had treated the little girl first and then went and treated uh, Mrs. Raskin just so we could have that, you know, little stat. But, you know –
1: uh, but I understand why they wanted to do it yeah, in this order. It's a little
2: bit more emotional this way. But uh, there's a man asking for someone to please help his daughter. And Mark steps in to help. Uh, her mythology project gave her a bad splinter. And he plays this uh, visualization game to distract her while he removes it. And she mentions in here, which somebody uh, makes the connection in the listener responses, that uh, this this is where the title comes from, the Orion in yep. the Sky thing. Yes, uh, But that this is also an excellent kind of allegory for um, Hawaii, like that he's no longer fighting the scorpion and he decides to just walk into the sea, basically. That's kind of what happens in Hawaii. Like he kind of decides yep. to stop fighting the scorpion and just gives himself over to the sea. So it's like it, it yeah. is a really, really excellent, very poetic way to kind of close things out here. And when he finishes treating her, he says, you know, thank you, Katie. You just became my very last patient. And, um, you know, the dad thinks he's talking about, oh, it's, your, you know, your shift's over. Right. You know. Yeah. Day, and, yeah. And Mark just very quietly, very softly is just like, yep. And then gets up and goes to walk away. And this is the moment where it all comes crashing down because Halei is kind of standing behind him while he's doing this to help. And she, of course, overhears this. And, like, you can see her putting it together in her head as he walks away. And that's the moment that really, like, takes Mm -hmm. it over the edge for me of, like, oh, fuck, like.
1: Her face just says everything. It's so
2: good. And it's so funny to me in retrospect, too, because I'm remembering, you know, of course, like when we talked to Yvette and, and asking yep. her about like the moment with the, the, the moment wall. with Abby in the wall, you know, all these big moments that we talk about. That, these Tuesday these are the moments that make us fucking blubber like, you know, idiots and like are, are completely wrapped up in And for her. She's like, oh, that was another Tuesday at work, honey. <laughs> like she, <laughs> she yeah. she's like, I don't, she's
1: fucking like, like, I don't. Fuck. And
2: it, th- what a, what a cool, but also what a sick fucking talent that is to be able to turn on those kind of like emotional, fucking like she could just c- crush your soul with a look, and to her that's just fucking Tuesday at work, baby. Like that's just so cool, but also so s- sinister as well. Like just.
5: Ah. <clears throat> <sighs>
2: So, yeah, from from here through the end of the episode, I had I had tears like I never went full scale, like blubbering, but I definitely had tears coming down from from that moment to the end of the episode. I like. Almost had
1: tears shed maybe once by the end of this episode, so I'm saying it's like point five for me because like I watered the tears welled, but I didn't actually have anything fall during the
0: episode. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, round off this episode with our last audio clip here. Mark is in the lounge talking to Carrie about Pratt as he cleans out his locker and then goes to a bunch of other stuff. How's Pratt doing? A little eager. Martin. A little cocky. You dirty
3: bitch. Uh. <laughs> she fit right in. I
4: think he'd
3: want to take on some extra shifts.
4: Pretty safe bet.
3: What about you? Me? How many shifts should I put you down for next month?
4: Never let your work become your life, Carrie. Live a little. No rest for the weary, Carter. It's been nice since 4 AM. <clears throat> leaving early? Not early enough. Fisher in the halls, an alcoholic. Took a fall, knocked himself out. Check your head CT and road test him before you let him go. Withdrawal? Just your usual midweek party. Chakarova has hives. Got prednisone, Benadryl. Feeling better? Watch her for half an hour. Send her on her way. Dispo's written.
3: Anybody actually sick? Just
4: the doctor. Hey, did you see the guy in three? Paccio, 56-year-old, chest pain, rule out going to medicine. Got aspirin, beta blockers, heparin, and an ACE. Twenty-eight
5: year old girl, LOC, so fell through a
3: plate glass window.
5: OK,
2: just keep pressing on dead dressing.
3: Arterial bleeder in the left forearm is the worst uh, for that. Good night, Doctor Green.
2: BP
3: 100 Bye. So EKG from Petio.
4: Flip T's and lateral leads. X-ray's clear is his troponin and repeat EKG in 10 minutes. Stop raining. Yeah. Clear sky. I'm out of here. You win tomorrow? Your ball needs air. It's not my ball. You set the tone, Carter. What? <laughs> Work on your jump shot. <laughs>
0: Would like it be I would like it to be known that while that clip was playing I cried you can probably hear it in my voice if, and uh, if Daniel
1: leaves the little sniffing gross noises <laughs> in underneath
0: the no don't up. he won't do that that's, that's nasty um, <laughs> that's nasty. nasty uh but Daniel also with the with the s
2: tier line martin you dirty bitch. <laughs> like as soon as that clip starts I'm like god damn it you fucking asshole. like <laughs>
1: It's so like so. I'll just say this: it's a beautiful scene even without the score, but that score just absolutely yeah, makes it. It just that yeah. murders. whole theme. Just, mm. Yeah,
2: uh, like and then like there's so much there. I mean, like the at the the again with the slow mo, like Al w- walking yeah. out, uh, and the 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 quick salute between him and Mark. Which which some people mm-hmm. keep trying to claim is a Top Gun thing, and I just don't see it. But, like... Nah, I know, a salute, it's a salute. But, like, it's it's when whatever. people are listing all of the, like, little cute things about this episode, they always list that as, like, a Top Gun reference. And I'm like, I just don't get it. Like, it's... You know. They salute another
0: exactly, as Top Gun Exactly. People. I don't think there's anything there.
2: But, you know. I'm the king of there's nothing there. But, like... <laughs> like, yeah. um, And then that little look between him and Susan, like... Yeah, I, I sort of like that we didn't need to have because we did the goodbye between Mark and Susan at the end of season or the, back in season three when she left the first time. I don't think we needed to do it again, you know. And so, mm-hmm. like, I like that they let it be just a little kind of knowing glance between the two of them. This is probably the last time they're ever going to see each other. And it was just really nice. And, you know, then I also love to how <laughs> I love how bit out of shape people get about carter saying it to archie at the end of season 11 and they're like it's wasted and like it's it's, it demeans that and then like and then i'm watching this one which is supposed to be the big poignant one which is supposed to be the one that everybody gets so like you know bricked up for
1: and it's barely anything i mean it's
2: nice he says it but then it's immediately it's it's immediately undercut by carter going what (laughs) like carter doesn't even know what he's saying (laughs) like it's it's remarkable that carter even remembers to say it to archie you know three years from now because like clearly I, it meant nothing to him in the moment.
1: Yeah. What I really wanted it to be is it's like, he goes, your ball is your, your ball is flat. Not my ball. It is now. If he had done that and then said, you set the tone that makes a little bit more yeah. sense. But the fact that he goes, your ball is flat. Not my ball. You set the tone Carter. Yeah, like, what? I mean, I,
2: I get what I feel like maybe in a first yeah. draft of it, it probably was like that. And then somebody just, dis- somebody decided, yeah. okay, we're we're getting a little heavy with the metaphor here because like the whole passing yeah. of the torch that this is your ball yeah. now thing like that's a little yeah. bit on the nose and so I could see yeah. why they wanted to maybe shorten that a little bit, s- show more, say less, and you know it's it's fine. It's I, but no, I suspect I suspect that this is just me again going off into conspiracy theory land. I suspect I'm shocked. I suspect that it, like if if they knew exactly how the next seven years were going to play out, like if they knew that Mackay Pfeiffer was going to work out the way he would, I suspect that it probably would have been him that he said it to and not yep. Carter. Yep. Uh, because there's just, again, going by this week by week and doing the whole thing. Uh, sorry, gang. There's not as much to the Mark and Carter dynamic as, as, there's as nothing. you think when you look at the show from yep. the big picture, when you look at the show from the big picture, I'm sorry. There's like two, Maybe three moments in the course of eight years between those two characters that amount to a fucking hill of beans. So like you can argue that Carter, of course, means more to the overall kind of mythos of the show at this point. But if you're talking about a a, like passing of the torch kind of moment, this this whole episode kind of sets it up that it's going to be that it's going to be Pratt that he's going to say that to. And because that's definitely much more of where like Mark was with Morgan Stern at that point. Like there's, I don't know. There's just, but again, you're not going to do that to, you're not going to say that to the guy who's the new character character who's in his first episode because no no offense, Eric Palladino, but what if he turns out to be Malucci? Like what if, what if we have to get rid of him after a season and a half, you know? So you don't want to waste that on a new character. So of course you're going to say that to Carter. But like narratively speaking, I wouldn't have been mad if it had been Pratt with the benefit of knowing he was going to be around till almost the very end.
0: But what I was going to say is, of course, Carter didn't really have many moments with Mark because Mark is not an older blonde oh. woman. Oh, so oh,
2: clearly Carter has no interest. <laughs> Lauren, you had thoughts. I saw. I saw your your hand emoji. I saw. It.
1: Oh, I was just doing that to be <laughs> dumb. Um. I it's a beautiful scene I love it again I love that the weather plays a, a character for this whole episode it's mm-hmm. yes. so well done um there's there is something cliche or not about the shot of carter out in the ambulance bay holding that basketball I don't care how over the head it is but there's just something about him getting that basketball that I was just like all right we're here right. like
2: yeah I mean yeah. well I mean mm-hmm. you think about it and, like the the show is in well and truly his now like because all I mean yeah Susan's back but like she's clearly not held in the same kind of like hierarchy that she was back in seasons 1 and 2 so like the rest of the original group is gone and this is very much like his show now although with a mild asterisk to Abby which I think is a very important little like exchange there between Green and Abby on his way out the door
1: season 9 Sorry, anyway,
0: <laughs> no, no, but yeah, other than that one blemish, this is an absolutely perfect episode. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is as close to a stone cold, perfect
2: episode that takes place yeah. in the ER.. Yep. That yeah, you're I, I've ever said we're
0: gonna get. So it's like nine point like seven yeah, 5 I, I, I have said it before, me.
2: and I will say it again. I will replant this flag. Like I maintain that Orion in the sky is the best of the trilogy. like I I think I think for my money, I think it goes Orion in the sky uh the be- on the beach and the letter uh i think the letter is the weak the weak link in the trilogy there because i don't think it's very necessary necessarily like i i think i think you can do you could have done everything you did with the letter in the first 10 minutes of on the beach and then done on the beach um but you know i think the other thing that makes this episode so great to me is that i i can think about it in a vacuum and go what if this was his last episode like what if they just went and Mark Green died on his way back to his home planet. Like, would I? Would I'm but would I have been satisfied? And to, for me, the answer is yes. Like for me, if we never got yeah. on the beach, if we never yeah. got the letter, and this was just the end of it, and they just went, "Yeah, we're not gonna, we're gonna spare you the pain of having to watch him die. We're just gonna find out about it off screen next episode." Like if they just did the letter and they didn't do on the beach, I'd be okay with that because this is an excellent mm-hmm. last episode. It's so fully encapsulates all the best parts of Mark Green the character. It lets him go out on his own terms. The only thread that it maybe leaves hanging a little bit is the stuff with Rachel, which is why on the beach works the way it does is really it's about closing that loop. Mm-hmm. Um but I I mean if this was the last episode and there was no follow-up beyond this and it was just like, yeah, we're done with Mark now, I wouldn't be mad because this is this is a great send-off without getting into high drama like we don't have to blow him up we don't have to like you know kill him in a blaze of glory we just get to say goodbye and
0: yeah right coppers
2: involved yeah so i i love it It it's for me it's like you said it's as close to a 10 out of 10 as you can get with no notes very few notes anyway uh and i just mm, chef kiss
0: but Lauren, what do the listeners have to say about it. Oh, by the way, Lauren has no soul. But uh, what <laughs> do the listeners have to say about it. This is
2: the only the only uh, drawback to Lauren and Lizzie not recording in the same room anymore is that I can't have Lizzie reach over and check Lauren for a pulse, uh, because <laughs> Still because there. Lauren is you know she's a victim of the notes. She's lost I'm- in the sauce of the notes.
1: Yeah, I, I really like just, yes, victim of the notes for this one. Like, it is a beautiful episode, I will agree, solid 9 out of 10. And, like, yeah, listening to those audio clips again when I'm not sitting there having to frantically, like, remember if I've gotten everything beautiful but it's just it's very hard for me to stay present in the moment for some of these when it's like
2: shit and i want to get ahead of the comment section now not the listener responses those are fine but i just mean the comment section after this episode comes out i'm not shit i I, in no way shape or form did i shit on the moment of carter getting told you set the tone like that is that is still a great (laughs) moment i don't want to hear it like do not come for me okay all i'm all i'm saying. Right. All I'm saying is that I could have seen an alternate reality if they had the benefit of hindsight. I could have seen an alternate reality where Pratt got told that. And B, B, it is not the pure moment that you remember it in your mind when you're not watching that episode. Because when you're not watching that episode, you think of it as this whimsical moment in sepia tone with, like, fuzzy edges around the side where – because – that little line from Carter really does undercut it, where he's just like, what <laughs> like he does it's the way he says it, like his voice goes up, he's like, what <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't know what he's being told in that moment, so like that you know which adds to the humanity of the situation, like you don't know you're being told the most important thing in your life at the moment it happens, it just kind of happens, and then it only occurs to you months or years later, and you know, so I, I like it from that, but it, like it's still a great moment. Don't get your panties in a twist. Like it's still a great moment. I just, you know, it is what it is.
1: But it also, you're right. It also leads into the whole like Carter telling Archie is cheap. It's like no. No. This Carter is, telling this Archie is one of energy. my favorite
2: moments in the entire show because he's trying to give him this like incredible like he's trying Hex to off. have his mark moment, which is actually. To me, the funniest part about it is that it's Carter trying to have his heroic Mark Green moment, and he can't do it because he's not Mark Green. And he's, he's <laughs> trying to do it, and he can't because Archie's too busy fucking puking. Like, <laughs> I can't wait for that moment. Like, It's so good.
1: All right. Elaine m sorry i'm i don't know how to say the name aline m says this episode was about making choices about life and how different people respond to death we see people who ignore it who avoid it who don't accept it who against their better judgment believe in a miracle and who accept it i was most touched by the poignant conversation between mark and jen the contrast between them is so big She feels guilt about her choices and cannot accept or even process Mark's nearing death. He accepts and respects the choices they made and is realistic about how soon he will die. Very well acted. During this episode, which is mostly us following Mark's journey to truly accepting his death, Mark realizes his quality of life is more important than quantity. And the choice about the end of his life is a choice he makes for himself. It's often difficult for other people to accept or realize this... And as much as Mark seems to accept it, that doesn't mean it's easy for him. As pointed out in the conversation in the beginning with Carter, as hard as it is, as hard as hard it was to deal with Blue Bertha, it's still harder to be Blue Bertha. The callbacks to the pilot were a nice homage. Mrs. Raskin, the homeless man Al with a top gun salute, you set the tone, throwing hoops in the ambulance bay. I also recognize Mr. Seidel as someone from season one, but he played a different patient, the one with the massive cell phone. Uh, Rodney C. says I'm usually not a grump to these things But I hated Carter letting Pratt go into the wrong room Yes, very funny Except an innocent patient also has to deal with your ribbing Fair I used to feel like this whole season Was one long, dragged out death for Mark But it's really not I think it's the combination of having to watch Everyone find out slowly Then Mark's last day Then we get the letter Then we get on the beach Dramatically the letter works But it's one step too far for me Mark's last moments in the ER still hit me hard though. Most TV deaths live off most TV deaths live off the suddenness of it, but we, we had to sit with it along with Mark. Last note, I love the evolution of You Set the Tone. When Mark got the speech, it was deliberate and straightforward. Mark doesn't really give a speech to Carter, and it all meant nothing to him in the moment. Only later on, when Carter does it himself, he does it almost as a joke. But he still chose the right doctor. The phrase really just means more to us than the show itself as time goes on. Until, setting the tone, an ER retrospective co-opted <laughs> it and decided to make their own thing out of it. Uh, Fran W. says, The episode is perfection. I was fine watching it today until Chuni looks up at Mark when he fumbles his words and then speaks some quiet words of comfort to her patient, but we know she is really speaking them to Mark. From there on, the emotional build is relentless. Which would not be possible without that score. I'd be sad and tearful, yes, but ugly crying, despite this being at least the seventh or eighth time I watched it, definitely not without the score. How he stands there as the gurney is being rushed away and Abby turns and says goodbye and he looks at peace, beautifully done. Right, I'm off to weep into a cup of tea. How properly British of you, Fran. Yeah. <laughs> what? Just, ha ha. No, she's my garden buddy, whatever. Uh... Kay Hubsey says, ugh, just ugh, in the best way possible. One, Anthony Edwards' painfully hilarious delivery of all the gallows humor jokes. He is so good at it, and it's classic Mark Green. I have a hangnail. I have an inoperable brain tumor. I win. On a personal note, my mom died of cancer, and being a nurse for 30 years, her gallows humor was also in fine form. I find it oddly comforting when Mark plays the C card, as my mom would put it. He uses it to shut down the annoying old lady and the comment about nobody being really sick except the doctor kills me. 2. Last moments in the ER, the basketball, the repeat patients, the precocious kid who Lauren will dislike but who gives Mark this poignant image of Orion fighting the scorpion and instead of continuing throws himself into the sea, which is a great setup for Hawaii. I don't like all I don't dislike all children. Um <laughs> But I yes, love she does. But I love that you thought of me. Uh and three, the look on Pratt's face when Carter and Lewis will listen to him rant and rant and then say brain tumor. He has a brain tumor. It will be sad to see Anthony Edwards swan song, but what a time it was. Guys, do you want to see if Aaron makes me cry? If the episode didn't, Aaron might. Uh at the full time dad says To me, Orion is damn near perfection. Arguably one of the five best episodes of the show. The beginning is so fitting and well done, Mark seemingly without a care in the world, doing what he loves, saving lives and shooting hoops. The Martin Davich score sends it over the top. Honestly, I'm near tears 10 seconds into the episode. The intentional addition of Mackay Pfeiffer on Mark's last day was perhaps one of the most important bridges the show could make to carry on early season fans into this new chapter of ER, which would only have two of the original six cast members. Sometimes, once you get deep into the later seasons, you forget that these two characters shared screen time, but their brief final day interaction gives you hints of the complexity of Pratt's character and the emotional depth he will eventually showcase in later seasons. The diner scene between Mark and Jen echoes back to seasons 2 and 5, the former being when they shared pie, and later a bed, and the latter being the very mature and poignant conversation about Jen's impending move to St. Louis. This one, however, far exceeds them in emotional weight and sheer catharsis. It's beautiful, tragic, and by the second commercial break, I'm a sobbing wreck. And of course, the nods to the premiere with Paul Benjamin and Juliana McCarthy reprising patient roles was an especially good touch. And finally, the ending. The final patient, giving Carrie advice that she almost assuredly echoes to Luca in her departure arc. The shared glance with Susan, almost as if he wanted to say goodbye, but just couldn't. Both Hille and Abby, sensing something was up. The ambulance bay, you set the tone. And the Martin flourish. Your heart soars. The tears, well, he's gone. Walking off into the Chicago night. If Mark's journey ended here, it would still be a perfect tribute to his character. Fuck, I'm crying. That's Aaron, <laughs> not me. I'm still not crying. Just, just to clarify. I still have no soul.
0: Um, and I know it's been a heavy episode just in a lot of ways for me. And it's been a very heavy kind of a couple days for me personally. Um, uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can find us at uh, patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, we highly encourage you to go there. Uh, but for now, I'm just going to make a brief comment on the uh, events that took place in Nashville uh, yesterday. Um, obviously, mass shootings are terrible and horrific, and there's no way to stop this. We're the only nation where this happens regularly. Thanks, Onion. Um, <laughs> but it's... Uh, I laugh because I'm nervous. Um, but as you may know, the shooter was uh, trans-identified or has a transgender person so uh a fresh hell of transgender hate has been sweeping through a lot of a lot of just a lot of your your normal areas but like extra violent rhetoric like the kind of stuff that can lead to people being hurt so maybe if you have a trans person in your life just check in on them just see how they're doing because it's it's it sucks for so so many people in this case. I like obviously my heart goes out to the families of those of the children, but at the same time, uh I, at the same time once I found that out, I screamed into a pillow until my throat hurt. And lots of my friends are not okay. So sorry to be a huge downer at the end of this but i appreciate you taking the time to listen and just be gentle to everyone in your life just be kind
1: Yep. look out I for each you. other I, we guys
0: love, we love we love you all hug a trans person they need it so much <laughs> these days and we'll see you next week